At that point, and then the last verse is, Ko Amar Adonai, for thus saith the Lord, for three sins of Israel and for four. And then he begins to list all of those sins. And towards the end of the book, you got the priest coming to Amos and saying, you know, you need to get out of, of North Israel and you need to go down to South Judah. We're tired of, of this noise that you're making. And so they turn sort of a deaf ear to Amos. Now, Hosea comes, and he's got a different strategy than Amos. God sends Hosea to North Israel and puts his marriage on display. And Hosea is just one more example in our Bible of the statement, or is just one more, one more example of the statement that we're using to describe the Bible, that the Bible is not a collection of random stories, but it's one story about God and about man and about what went wrong and what God is doing to put it back together again. That's what Hosea is trying to say to North Israel, to those ten tribes. That God is your Father, and we have, because of our sinfulness, created all of this, this anarchy and this chaos within the nation and in our social relationships and, and with places of worship. But God wants to forgive, and God wants you to repent, and God wants the relationship to be restored. That's what happens in the book of Hosea. Hosea is trying to help Israel understand its fragile spiritual status. And he does it by displaying his marriage. And in that metaphor of marriage, you have a call to marry, you have the complications in the marriage, and then you have the conversion in the marriage. And that's with a question mark. So let's look at the metaphor of marriage that's in Hosea. The first point is the call to marry. Hosea is called to marry. This is Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go Take to yourself a wife of, say it, church. Let's say it with a little gusto. That's a word we don't use very often. Take to yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry for the land commits flagrant. I don't know. Maybe there's a word in there that's trying to get us to think in a certain way about Israel, right? Forsake. What does it mean committing harlotry? The next phrase, forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now think about this. God is calling his prophet, a fellow by the name of Hosea, who seems to be just a, you know, just a fine fellow. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to <clears throat> find the daughter of Deblaim, a woman by the name of Gomer, and I want you to marry her, even though she's a prostitute and an adulterous woman. And the, the, the thing about this is that this is a, a, a culture that is driven by shame and it's driven by honor and it's driven by having a good name and integrity and, and having some kind of social influence because of the way that people perceive you. And so everyone in North Israel is going to hear about this prophet by the name of Hosea who has decided that he is going to marry the daughter of Deblaim, this prostitute and adulterous woman that everybody knows about, by the name of Gomer. And the big question on everybody's lips, why in the world would he do that? You see how it's getting everybody's attention? They're beginning to think. And they ask the question, why would he do that? Why would he love a woman like this? And how could he do this? And that is precisely the point. That's the question. What does this mean? And what it means is that Hosea's broken family is going to symbolize God's broken family. 
that there is to be a transference of thought and of meaning and of significance from what they're perceiving and thinking and talking and probably gossiping about with Hosea and Gomer and make the requisite, and Hosea is going to help them with this, make the requisite application to their own spiritual state, their own fragile spiritual status with God. That Hosea's broken family is going to symbolize God's broken family. I mean, if you can imagine the scenario between God and Hosea. God says, Hosea, I find this woman who cannot be faithful to you, this prostitute, and marry her. And Hosea says, you want me to do what? And God says, you heard me. I want you to marry Gomer, who is a prostitute. And Hosea says, but why? What are people going to think? What, what are they going to think about me? What are they going to think about you? What, what are they going to think about anything? And God says... We are giving our hearts to people who will not honor the marriage covenant and who will reject us. And we are going to spend our time, our affections and energy going after them to turn them around. And Hosea says, God, I, I have to tell you, I'm still in the dark. I, don't, I still don't understand. And God says, it's this way. We are married to a spouse who does not know that in their unfaithfulness to us, they are really destroying themselves. And we are going to give them our love in order to save them. Now here we ask the question, what is a marriage? Well, there's all kinds of definitions. I mean, you go on the internet, you Google, and, and you know, Google just seems to be this black hole of definitions. And, and a lot of times misinformation, but sometimes really good information. But for our purposes, in, in thinking about the way the Bible describes the relationship between a husband and a wife, and define it as marriage, we would define marriage this way. Two becoming what? Two becoming one through love and a rigorous commitment to the covenantal vows both parties have agreed to. Let me say that again. It's two becoming one through love and a rigorous Commitment to the covenantal vows both parties have agreed to. It's love and commitment to the idea that two people in this covenant are going to become one flesh. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Very first wedding ceremony in the Bible. And if you were here yesterday for the, for the, the Rawling Hailing wedding or to any other wedding recently, you know that there comes a place in the wedding ceremony where a man and a woman are asked to face each other in that wedding ceremony and in front of these witnesses make vows to one another. And some guy like myself is going to say to them, do you take this woman or do you take this, this, this man to be your lawfully wedded spouse your lawfully wedded husband or your lawfully wedded wife, and to keep yourself to them and to them alone. And will you be faithful? And will you take care of them and respect them and honor them? And all of these kinds of things that are just part of that mutually exclusive relationship called marriage. And what is it that they say to each other in front of all of the witnesses and before God? I do. You guys haven't been to weddings very recently, have you? I do. They hear that. And they think in their mind, you know, that sounds like a pretty good deal. You know, to honor and to respect and to be honored and respected, to celebrate and to be celebrated, to fellowship and be fellowshiped, to be served and to serve and to know and to be known. That sounds like a pretty good thing. I love this woman. I love this guy. I do. Now, that's what happened between God and Israel on Mount Sinai all the way back in Exodus. 
You remember that, that Egypt has made God's people slaves and making their life bitter and terrible and, and it, 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 it's an onerous life. It's just tough and it's, it's full of, of strife and it's, it's an anguished life. And God brings them out of that slavery and manifests His great power and His great love by bringing them out, brings them to Mount Sinai where for about 9 to 12 months they are being formed into the nation of Israel. And during that period of time, Moses is going up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain. He's getting information and sharing it with the people. And in Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 and 6, this is what God says to Moses about all of these great things happening between him and his bride Israel. He says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, talking about the idols and the other gods. For I... The Lord your God am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing what? But showing what, church? Love. Showing love to those who love me and keep my commandments. And then four chapters later, in Exodus chapter 24, and verse 3, when Moses went and told the people all that the Lord's had said all of His words and all of His laws and explained what the covenant would look like and the greatness of it and the profoundness of the love and the blessing and, and how they would be made whole in a way that they had never known wholeness in all of their life, in all of their experience of Israel. He explains to them all of the greatness of the blessing of being in that kind of a covenant with God. And they respond with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. What's that sound like? I do. And God and Israel at that point were to live happily ever after. But, second point, the complications to marriage. The complications to marriage. The, the complications to marriage can be summarized with one word. Want to guess what it is? Sin. Complication comes to marriage because of one word, because of sin. Marriages enter, enter into a danger zone or enter into danger because of the sinfulness of one or both parties involved. And that's the issue in the book of Hosea. Israel, in covenant to God, like Gomer in covenant to Hosea, is not just going elsewhere to find fulfillment. Take it a step further, they are prostituting themselves. And so Hosea, chapter 2, verse 5, their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in, the, in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food, my water, my wool, my linen, my oil, my olive oil, and my drink. In other words, I will go after these people because that's what they're going to pay me. Now, there's, there's a, a, a lot of ways in which adultery and prostitution have differences, that, 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 that they're different. But think for a moment, what do adultery and prostitution have in common? What do adultery and prostitution have in common? Is it not at the most basic level, both are superficial views of love? Incredibly superficial views of love. That love becomes a commodity. That we commodify love in a way that in adultery, it's about me with this, whatever love is as a commodity, that in adultery, it's about me getting a need met or some kind of fulfillment, even though I'm married to this other guy. It's about fulfillment. In prostitution, love is a commodity for self-preservation. And so Homer and Homer, <laughs> Hosea and, and Gomer are married. And it 
I am a homer. You know the Spurs are playing tonight. You may not have known that. And I am a homer. Go Spurs, go. Hosea and Gomer have married, and it seems to start off well. They have a boy by the name of Jezreel, but then Gomer begins to prostitute herself again and and brings children from these relationships into the marriage and doesn't stop even though Hosea is really loving her and loving her and loving her and sticking with her. And Israel is doing the same thing with God. Israel does not look to God to take care of her. But will use her resources, whatever it is she's been blessed with, to, to, to get other people, other nations, other gods, to do the very thing that God Himself said He's going to do. Israel even gets to this point where God is so unrecognizable to them because they've prostituted themselves and they've been with so many other nations, a way that they're prostituted with so many different men, that Israel doesn't even recognize God anymore. There's this, this sad verse, verse 16 of Hosea chapter 2, where declares the Lord, It will come about in that day that you will call me Ishi, which is Hebrew for my husband or my man, and will no longer call me Baali, which means my Lord or my Baal. You, you see, the, 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 if we can talk about it this way, the mental illness of, 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 of prostitution had struck, had struck Israel in such a way that they could, nev- they could no longer differentiate or discern between who they were with. Begun, they had begun to call God Himself, Yahweh, who had, who had given them His personal name and declared His love for them, began to call Him by another name. And part of that was the religious leaders were no longer educating the people or informing the people of God's will because it wasn't all that important. In chapter 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. What do you think that knowledge is? Do you think that knowledge is being able to name all of the books of the Old Testament in order, all the books of the New Testament? You know how the Bible uses the word knowledge. It's... It, it, it's to, to know is to know intimately. It's to know deeply. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Not because they didn't believe that there was a God, but because they didn't know God. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest because you have ignored the law of your God. I also will ignore your children. And by the time you get to chapter 7 of Hosea, there's just social dis- disarray. I mean, because the Word of God... You know, you know think about how this happens in, in terms of progression. If, 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 if God is not all that important to you, then whatever God says to you is not going to be that important. So Torah itself is not going to be that important. Why would I even care about what God says if I don't even really care about God? And if I don't care about what God says primarily about the way that I'm going to live my life, and the way that I'm going to relate to other people, and if that's not important to me, then I'm going to treat people any way that I want to. Why? Because God's Word's not important. Why is God's Word not important? Because God Himself is not important. And so there's all kinds of, 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 of deception and murder and bloodshed and stealing and adultery. In Hosea chapter 8, there is idolatry. Verse 6 of Hosea 8, God is saying, they are from Israel. They should know better. We have a relationship. This calf, a metal worker has made it. It's not God. It will be broken in pieces, that calf of Samaria. 
Chapter 13, verse 2, Now they sin more and more. They make idols for themselves from their silver, cleverly fashioned images, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of these people they offer human sacrifices. You, you know, a, a, adultery is, is such a terrible thing. But if you, if you can imagine moving even further away from God, it would be perhaps in, in prostituting oneself. What, what Hosea is trying to illustrate is that, folks, it's not just adultery, it's that, but it's even more. It's prostitution. That they have moved so far from God that they offer human sacrifices and they kiss the calf idols. And the very next verse says this, verse 7, they sow the wind, but they reap what? Which brings us to the last point, the conversion in marriage. At some point, Gomer leaves Hosea and lives with somebody else. And in chapter 3, Yahweh, God Himself, tells Hosea, Hosea, go get your wife. Go get her. Go find her and go get her. And Hosea shows up and, 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 and Hosea is to show his love to God to his wife. Although she is a, a harlot. And, and he finds her, finds out where she lives. And he, 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 what he discovers is that she's in desperation and she's in desolation. And she's, if you think about it, you know, he, he pays 15 shekels and, and a homer and a half of barley, which was the basic price of, of what you would pay for somebody who was a slave. That she has moved away from being Hosea's treasure the way that Ellen is my treasure. She has, she has moved away from that to the place where she is another man's slave. And he's able to buy her for 15 shekels and a homer and a half of barley. And she goes back home with him to their, to their home. And you have to, you have to wonder, what, what in the world is, is she thinking about as, as she's traveling with Hosea back to the house? She's maybe thinking that, you know, I've, I've, I've been caught. And I've really done some really bad things. And you know what? I, I, I really can't blame him if, if life is going to be pretty rough right now for me because of the things that I've done and the way that I've broken his heart. I, it's hard for me to think of him treating me as his wife. But then imagine her shock when Hosea sits her down in the living room and says to her, chapter 3, verse 2, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same toward you. In other words, you have this very tender moment with Jose and Gomer where he's saying to her, I don't want you to be a harlot ever again, but I want you to be my wife. I want you to be my wife. I want you to be the apple of my eye. I want you to be at the core of my heart. We are not for sharing with other people because we belong to each other and to each other only. And unfortunately, the story of Hosea and Gomer ends kind of right there. And the rest of the book from chapter 4 to chapter 14 is really a description for Israel to see how they are Gomer in this metaphor. And so we don't really know what happened to her or how she responded to Hosea. 
I mean, she's sitting there. She's been taken as a, out, of, out of her slavery and, and taken back into the house. Did his words melt her heart? Did it, did it really change her? Did it really move her emotionally and, and for, for love to, to, to well up and to blossom in her heart? Or did her heart harden? We don't know. What we do know is that Israel was not transformed. Even though she was brought out of slavery, even though she was brought out of her prostitution, of, 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 of chasing after all of the false gods and all of the other idols, thinking that that's where her pay was coming from. We do know that Israel was not transformed, but ended up being destroyed completely in 722-721 B.C. And you would think that the, that's the end of the story. That that's it. That that's the end of the story, but it's not. Many centuries later, there's this old apostle of Jesus who is probably in his 90s. And he's, he's, he's by himself, last, last apostle standing. And he writes one of the greatest letters to the, to, to the church that we find in the New Testament in general. And towards the end of that letter, we know as 1 John, he says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John says, this is love. Why? Why, why those three little words? Why? This is love. Is because there are superficial loves, right? Hosea could have just taken Gomer back and said, you know, I just love you the way you are. You don't need to change. I just love you the way you are. Don't change, baby. Don't change. But that's kind of superficial because she needs to change. Or he could have said to, to Gomer, wow, there's too much drama here, too much high maintenance. You're way too difficult to love. But he loves her in a way that makes her the center of his life as a wife. The words of the covenant. Don't be a harlot. Don't be intimate with other men. Just with me. And I will treat you the same way. I will be a husband to you. You be a wife to me. You know what kind of love that is? That's the kind of love that brings a prodigal home and makes him a son again. It's, it's the kind of love that when you know that you're treasured like that, it makes you want to live like a treasure that's worthy of that kind of love. It's the kind of love that was shown at a well in John chapter 4 when this woman who was messed up with men and messed up with sex and messed up with everything in her life comes in the middle of the day to draw water from a well near Sychar. And she meets the Messiah there. And they begin to speak. And after their, their conversation, she is so moved and so changed and so brought closer to God that the very emblem of her, of her stigma in that, that culture of being you know, divorced and remarried and messed up with sex and with, with men, even to the point where she's just living with a guy now. 
And that's why she has to go in the middle of the day to draw that water, not in the cool of the morning, the cool of the evening when everybody else was doing it, but because she was ostracized going in the middle of the day in the heat of the day by, by herself. And she leaves that bucket that reminded her every day. She leaves that bucket and goes back to that village and says, I have found the Messiah. It's an, it's an amazing thing if you've never been loved that way to, to be loved that way. It's, a, it's an amazing thing when, when all of your life you've gotten sort of the short end. You've, you've been shafted when it comes to love and, and feeling loved and feeling special and feeling that you are in particular the apple of somebody's eye and that there's somebody that looks at you and looks at you know, nobody else in the same way. That's the kind of love that the Bible describes over and over again that God is showing His human creatures in order to help them to understand that the life that they are choosing, is a life, the life that's driving them away from God, is a, is a life that is futile and it's vain and it ends up in a car crash someplace with fatalities. But what He's trying to do through that love is to woo you back. It's to bring you back. So that you can see Him and not be ashamed. But to see Him and know that you're treasured. And that was done through the cross with Jesus. You want to spend some time thinking about the greatness of the love of, of God for you. Think about the cross of Jesus. And that it was in that old famous passage that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, was willing to spend His most precious resources in order to bring us back. We're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front, and maybe you've never made that decision to go home. To go home to God. To come into His arms and have never made that decision to, to, to give up those things that are really destroying your life in order